Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, McKinley Wright. Welcome in to the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by Drift Car Sharing. I'm Henry Chisholm, and uh, it is 3.54 in the morning. Oh, whoops. Uh, and, you know, it's uh, kind of a big day. It's actually the 1,700th consecutive day that I am single, uh, which is something that I've been keeping track of. And... Uh, Obviously, it's been on my mind. This is like my hour or so where I'm just going to put that in the back. And, you know, we've had, was a 17 of these now? I mean, like, obviously, I didn't care early on, like 100 days, 200, like, that's nobody. We're going to stop with this. We're really going to stop with this. I guess if you guys want to, like, figure out what portion of my life, what fraction of my life, I, you know, actually, no, you can't. You don't, you couldn't figure that out. You don't know my birthday. But, uh, End of that talk, into the more fun talk, which is that the Colorado Buffaloes beat the Washington Huskies 24-10 to 10 last night. Yep, last night. This is now the morning. This is now Sunday morning. 3.55 now, Sunday morning. And, uh, oh boy, this is going to be... I, I have my Blueberry Red Bulls. I'm ready to go. I just had, like, this whole day flash before my eyes. I realized, like, it's going to be five by the time I finish recording this, and then I have to edit it and get it up, and then I have to go back and do a final edit on my story, um, and then wake up and write the other story, and uh, then I'm going to the Nuggets game tomorrow, which is going to be a lot of fun, or today, <laughs> actually, uh, because because uh, they're hosting the Suns, and more importantly, they called up Bull Bull yesterday. Bull uh, Bull is... <laughs> you guys probably do not want to hear about this at all. You want to hear about the bus winning, but we're going to make you sit for just another minute. Um, but Bull Bull is going to be on the bench for the Nuggets on this like two-way contract. The Suns, garbage, even more garbage without DeAndre Ayton. That means that the Nuggets could just like build up a massive lead and get Bull Bull. Uh, I mean, like maybe not even significant minutes. I don't need that. I just want to see a debut. The man is an animal. Uh, I'm pumped. Uh, let's go back in time to the Colorado Buffaloes, though, because that's my job. And, uh, boy, what a great game. What a great game. Um, they've put everything together. I guess by the time you guys are listening to this, I'll have published my column so you guys can read that. I'm not, like, spoiling something that's to come. But basically, my biggest takeaway from this game is that everything that was promised maybe not by like Rick George or Mel Tucker or any of those but everything that was kind of like promised assumed 
because of the hiring of Mel Tucker about this defense is starting to come true. You know, this is what we were supposed to see, like this dominating defense, this defense that can set the tone, this defense that can really take on, I mean, not even take on person, but be the personality of this football team. And that's so exciting. Uh, just running through the, the the scores that they've given up. I, I, before last week, or I guess two weeks ago, there was the bye week in between against Stanford. Colorado had given up at least 30 points in 14 straight games. And they weren't even that good before those 14 games, to be honest. It it took that long for them to finally... It's, I, I, I have a tough time calling it, say, like, past that landmark. That's not a landmark. That's, like, no big deal. It's just something that they finally did. Uh, they held a team to... What was that? That was 13 points against Stanford. And then... 14 points this week like I think this defense has actually just figured it out I think that you know a good defense can keep you in any game you know if if uh I mean you look at Washington even in in these low scoring games these non-Pac-12 games sort of uh anybody can come back and win and you saw that late with Washington I really never lost faith I always thought that Colorado was going to get the win just because they did look so good because I didn't think that all of a sudden Jacob Eason and the Washington Huskies would turn things around. Um, I should say, when I saw Stenstrom come into the game, when I saw Blake Stenstrom, the Stenstrom let's get that right at least once. Maybe we can keep it going from there if I get it right once. Uh, the freshman quarterback come into the game, I did think, oh boy, this would be how the Buffs lose a game that they so obviously cannot lose because of the performance of the team so far. It's so clear that this is the better team, at least today, at least Saturday night, the Colorado Buffaloes were a much better football team than the Washington Huskies. But in the way that Colorado loses games... You know, like historically this season, last season, I've heard long before the way that they can kind of just blow games for no reason. I mean, you you just thought that Blake Stenstrom coming in could be exactly that. Like that is why it's going to happen. Everything is totally sealed and then you throw in a freshman. But, uh, well, I guess I should say, on the first play, they did fumble. Luckily, Blake Stenstrom... Jumped on the ball, recovered it, and that was huge. Uh, What a play by the freshman, recovering the fumble. From then on out, though, things were smooth. Like, that was when the Buffs were supposed to blow it. Like, if the football gods wanted the Buffs to lose, that was the opportunity uh, right there with that fumble. After that, you just think, like, oh, okay. Especially when he starts completing passes. He had a couple nice balls to Dimitri Stanley. The running game was working with Jaron Mangum, Alex Fontenot. I mean... Even with the backup quarterback, they were able to dictate the pace offensively. They ran out, what, 504, 507, something like that. The remainder of the clock on that last drive. It's the same thing that they did against Stanford. They had 12 minutes and 40 seconds of possession, I want to say, in the fourth quarter against Stanford. And they did the same thing uh, last night against against Washington. (laughs) Oh boy, this might be a long show. Uh, not not long in the sense of length, but long in the sense of I hope you guys are ready to put up with me surviving off of just this blueberry Red Bull. Bought a couple 12 ounces tonight. 
going to pound those as we go. Going to get some writing done. Not going to be able to sleep because of it. But, uh, ooh, this would be like a good day for there to be some uh, international football. Like if they're playing in London, they have those 9.30 a.m. starts. Could just sit here all the way through, just work all the way through, and then see if I can make it through that Bronco game at 11. Do I even want to watch the Broncos play tomorrow at 11? Oh, here's a transition. Uh, quickly, to answer that question, it did not take long to figure out. Uh, no, I do not want to watch the Broncos lose to the Bills. I kind of get off on them losing. At this point, just like, yeah, we all just deserve this. This is what should happen with this team being what it is. Make me sit through this, and I will enjoy the future more. Um, but also, it really does hurt, and I'm going to be tired, so I'm not going to watch. Uh, the point was, when I brought up the Broncos, it reminded me, and if you follow me on Twitter, you know where I might be going with this. Um LaVisca Chenault's touchdown catch tonight was the exact same. Uh, yeah, we'll go with it. The exact same as Cortland Sutton's touchdown catch against the Browns. A ball that maybe wasn't thrown where it should have been. A touchdown pass. You can't take that away from Steven Montez or Brandon Allen. But it was a ball that was out in front of the receiver, which was the side that the cornerback was on. So you'd think, like, if... If, if the cornerback is deep, the receiver's shallow, you throw it shallow. You throw the back shoulder pass, turn him around. Um, both Steven Montez and Brandon Allen had a different idea, which was to trick the cornerback into thinking he was catching the ball and not play the receiver and let these massive receivers just reach out and uh, get to the ball in front of them when they're not trying to break the ball up. They're trying to catch it for themselves because it looks like a pretty obvious interception. Uh, this started out more sarcastic than it ended that little rant right there. Um, I did mean it w It was not a good decision. It was not a decision at all. But now that I think of it, I wonder if that's something that may be real. You throw it to where the cornerback is so that the cornerback thinks he's just going to be able to intercept it, and then you let the receiver sneak in there when he shouldn't be able to sneak in there and, and, and catch the ball. Maybe it takes a super talented receiver. Um, luckily, the Broncos and the Buffaloes know how to, uh, or have those, and turns out maybe know how to use them. Um, let's get a little more LaVisca Chenault talk in. He was on the field. Um, that's the end of that sentence. So that was pretty cool. He was just constantly on the field. Uh, you feel for the guy. You really do feel for the guy. He, for, for I mean, I mean, it's easy to say, poor LaVisca Chenault, he probably lost millions of dollars because of the way this season broke for him. Not because he isn't talented, not because he didn't work hard, not because he, he didn't spend the time in the uh, weight room, in the meeting room, all that kind of stuff. That was never a problem. The problem was just that he had bad luck and took hits in spots he didn't want to get hit. And it cost him millions of dollars. And that part's like pretty obvious. Like, yeah, poor guy. But just the 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 not tangible aspects, having to live through all of this, having to know that you're the most talented player on the football field. In I mean, half these places, he's just like the most talented re receiver, most talented player in the state. Like there is nobody within a thousand miles of the okay, maybe that's a stretch. Five hundred miles of this man who can do anything close to what he can do. You know, you think it goes up to Oregon. 
okay, this is a weird geographical thing, but you know, that's just how talented he is, but he just can't use it. He's stuck on the sideline. He just has to sit there and watch. And you know, sometimes it's been for an entire game. Sometimes it's for series. Sometimes he just has to take a play off tonight. We got to see him play quite a bit more. Um, he was used in a very LaVisca Chenault way, which is always fun. Like, as much fun as it is to see him run routes and catch balls, and that's something that he... I'm, I guess I don't know that he wanted to prove that he could do that, that he could just be a pure receiver. And, I mean, I mean he, we know he can be. It's just how good is he? Is he one of the best in the world at being a pure receiver? We didn't really know coming into the season. And I know I wanted to see him try to do that more so that he could prove himself as one. And I would guess that he did too. And that that is good and that's probably important to his draft stock and that kind of stuff. But that isn't what he is. And what's so fun about him is seeing him get handoffs, seeing him get these reverses, seeing him seeing him block even. My goodness, he's just massive. Uh yeah. Yeah. And we got to see that tonight. We got to see him in the Wildcat. We got to see him pick up, what was it, third and four, the Wildcat. We got to see him try it again um, on the fourth and four. Did not pick that one up, but just about did. Again, for, for basically a QB sneak, picking up five yards or whatever on the first one, and then picking up f- three and a half yards on the second, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Um yeah, but they, they used him the way they should. He had 100 receiving yards. He did have a big drop. Uh, obviously, didn't affect the outcome of the game, but he, he found space on the sideline. He would have caught the ball probably, what, 20, 25 yards downfield, had one guy between him and the end zone. He still had to like turn around and make a move, and maybe somebody would have caught him while he's making a move. Looked like he had a real chance to get a touchdown, and that's probably what he was thinking when he tried to like turn around quickly while he was catching the ball and just hit the ground. Um, he's not a receiver who drops passes. I'm not sure if he had if that was like the book on him over the last few years. That could definitely be that in the past he was that kind of guy, but he hasn't been that guy this year. There have been a couple of drops. But they haven't been like drop drops. Like this is one where it would, it just was it felt like a fluke, not like anything else. I wasn't like, oh, Visca, you gotta get that one. Like, what are you doing? It was my reaction was just, oh, I guess that just happens to everybody. Sometimes this was one of those times, and it was so obvious what happened. It wasn't that he was like watching the ball in, and he still couldn't grab it. Because that's what's concerning. Um, What isn't as concerning as seeing him know that he has one guy to beat, and he gets excited and doesn't doesn't get one of the steps right. That that can be fixed. That's not concerning. And again, it could happen over and over again, but even then you just say, dude, you got to pay more attention, and then he just will. It's not that he doesn't have the hands. Um... Yeah, Visca, very, very good. Very, 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 very good. Okay, um, moving along. Uh, actually, before we jump into anything else, I do want to tell you about Breckenridge Brewery. Breckenridge Brewery is just incredible. They make a lot of good beers. They probably make your favorite beer, except they make it better. So if, if you think you need to go have... Uh, I don't even know. I don't... <laughs> I can't think of any other beers because I only drink Breckenridge beers. 
Um, but but you get what I'm saying. If you want to try an amber ale, whatever your favorite amber ale is, try the Avalanche instead, and you'll like it better. A Kolsch ale, a definitely like a strawberry Kolsch ale. There's nobody who could possibly do that better than the Strawberry Sky from Brackenridge Brewery. Um, just check them out. If, if you haven't yet, you can use their beer locator on their website, which will tell you where the nearest place that you can buy any given beer is. They're all over the country, so you can obviously find them anywhere. 36 states, so just just do it. The beer locator on the Breckenridge Brewery website will get you all set up. Um, I would also like to tell you about Strava Craft Coffee. If you're like me and you're really tired then you should probably drink some coffee. And you know what the best kind of coffee is? CBD-infused coffee. And that's because it's magic. You, you, you put it in you, and all of a sudden, you're just better. Like, you you're feel better on the insides, on the outsides. You're just, I don't know, just like a better human in terms of your health. But also, I think it really does make you just kind of brighter, peppy. Uh, so yeah, Strava Craft Coffee is the coffee that you need to be drinking, and if you're not, you're just, you're, you're not making a good decision, and I, I have a tendency to make bad decisions, and guess what? I don't drink much Strava Craft Coffee, so there you go. That should be it right there. Uh, if you want to try Strava Craft Coffee, then you should use the code BSN2019, because guess what? You'll get 20% off your order from Strava Craft. And then uh, once you order it, you have to go pick it up. Ah, gotcha. Just kidding. They ship it to you. Like you don't even have to go to the store. I, I think like a lot of the stores around here deliver. I don't make enough money to even see how much that would cost, but they're, they'll deliver it to you. It might be free. I just realized I don't know if it's actually free. Uh, Total Bev is free. Um, but check it out because it's, it's definitely worth it. You should definitely check it out. Uh, good coffee fixes your issues. CBD infused doesn't get you high. Uh, does keep you awake. Strava craft coffee. Um, okay. Uh, moving along to, I don't know. I, I, I didn't really sketch this whole thing out. That first segment was mostly just weird with a little bit of offense and defense mixed in. I try to keep it very precise in the post-game podcast because usually I'm really, really tired and need some sort of structure. Luckily, I took more notes about things that I wanted to talk about on the podcast tonight, and uh, I'm just pulling those up. <laughs> One was a joke. Um, <laughs> somebody, somebody, who tweeted this? Uh, oh, Rachel Demita who did like the 2K sports, uh, okay, we don't need to get to it. She tweeted something about, oh, I don't remember her tweet. I just remember my joke um, about something. The point is, I was going to say, no way, hashtag me too, but totally unrelated to what me too actually means. And it got me on this train of thought thinking, what if you took hashtags like that and just put them totally out of context I don't know. I think it's a type of joke. I don't know if that's one to joke about, but something in that vein. Um, so that was my worst note. I think my best note was about how, you know, we kind of talked about this being tug of war, football being a tug of war type thing where it's just back and forth and back and forth. 
and then all of a sudden somebody pulls it far enough that you score and then you just reset and do it over again. Um, and that's that's kind of what we saw tonight, that that seems to be the thought process where you can kind of cash in when you get into field goal range. You can kick a field goal and say, you know what, we'll take three points and we'll start over. Or you can push harder. You can see if you can get seven points famously how much a touchdown is worth and uh if you do that or, or you don't do that by going for it on fourth down then they're still way back on the other side and so you're still like winning that tug of war battle uh this is the way you think about football when you have a good defense a defense that you trust and you trust your punter how about alex kinney tonight my goodness I uh, finally had a chance to ask him about his mullet, so that was exciting. It's tough to talk about that kind of stuff when the team is losing. Really easy for me to talk about it when they're winning. Some of the reporters also thought it was interesting. I'll admit, some of the other reporters thought that it was kind of a waste of time. Luckily, uh, it's good content. Uh, interesting story about his mullet, uh, which he does not have anymore. He's a senior. This was his last game at Folsom. Before I forget, because there's a good chance that I will totally forget about the play of the game, which was his 63-yard punt matching his long that hit hit really near the middle of the field, which is the most incredible part to me. Like, not midfield, but toward the middle of the end zone, but not in the end zone. Like, horizontal middle, not... Okay, it's not vertical, would it? It's, uh, the long ways. Not the long ways. The short ways middle. And, and then it just kicked hard to the right, like just boom, 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 and it rolled out of bounds after hitting pretty much in the middle of the horizontal field, middle of the field horizontally, and uh, it was just an, an incredible thing, and he said that it was luck, which was disappointing, uh, really wanted him to claim that one, I thought he deserved it, it's senior day, um, but yeah, just rolled out, it actually like barely rolled out side of the pylon, but the refs gave Washington the ball at the one. And I was like, that's so not fair. Like, you just tripled how far away from the goal line that football should be. Uh, yeah, that was frustrating. So that was Alex Kinney playing football. Uh, now I'd like to transition back into Alex Kinney's hair, which was incredible a couple of years ago. Uh, he, uh, he said he originally cut his long hair. He had, like, long down to the shoulder, past the shoulder, maybe down the back a little bit type hair. Just beautiful blonde hair. And uh, on the 4th of July, he decided to cut that hair into a mullet because, in his words, what's more American than a mullet? It's a tough question. Uh, rhetorical, probably, because I just don't even think that that exists, more American than a mullet. And then he kept the mullet for a while, uh, eventually shaved it off. Uh, he said that it had something to do with... Uh, you know, during football, it's like a serious thing and everybody's like fighting really hard and like super intense. And he said he just kind of felt silly running around in a mullet in that type of environment. And so he just shaved it all off and he's happy they shaved it all off. And I said like, so you don't miss it? And he said, oh no, I miss it. I miss it all the time. And some people were saying I should grow it back for my senior year. And I was tempted, but it took three years to grow it, and so we really couldn't do it. Um, so that's the mullet. That's the mullet. Um, he played very well. Played very, very well. Again, 
uh, he's a good good punter. He has a little bit of an accent, which I enjoy too. I would love to. It, it's like a, I don't know what to call it appropriately. I, I could see somebody in Montana talking with it. It's almost like Southern. It's kind of cowboyish. Uh, but I, I would really like to spend more time listening to him and James Stefano go back and forth with their different accents. Two very different, very, very different accents. Um, so we got through all the Alex Kinney stuff. I don't even think I had that in my notes. I had my questions. Uh, yeah. So that's the tug of war. You you, you kind of saw a glimpse into Mel Tucker's mind and some of those decisions. Again, you have a freshman kicker. And so when you're going for the ball in the wildcat in the fourth and four, you do have to take that into account. That might not be something where it's like, oh, they're at the 10-yard line. 15 yard line wherever they are they're gonna they're gonna pull that freshman kicker might play into it um freshman kicker by the way hit two field goals tonight 22 yards 23 yards again they aren't long i don't know if i've said this but i think he's told me he he's confident up to around like 53 55 yards um so yeah that's quite a ways that's good for a college kicker um maybe he's overestimating because it sounds good and definitely sounds good and uh that isn't true but i would guess that his range is right around there um and again freshman time to improve for sure but yeah i think that that kind of makes sense i i I like i like it i like that he's willing to go for it he isn't too conservative um I like that when you go for it, especially in a game like this when the defense is playing so well, I think that you can give them confidence. First by saying we trust you to to not let them drive 90 yards and score a touchdown. Um, but then also by actually putting them on the field and instead of it being like the coach's action that gives them confidence, the odds being in their favor, the the, the very good chance that they actually do stop the other team um, you know, if it does happen, all of a sudden that's confidence that they give themselves because they just made another play. They just did whatever they did to get off the field. Um, it just seems like you're giving that defense more confidence. On the other side, when you really do trust that defense, three points is huge. Three points is massive. When you're playing a team that, you know, they got held to 14 points. You kick one or two more field goals, they're out of that game for so long. You know, uh... It, I mean, it's a percentage thing, I guess. You you look at uh, that Oregon State game tonight. I was able to catch the last couple minutes up in the press box. The Oregon State game when they played Washington State, and that game ended up being like 53-52. One field goal here or there doesn't change all that much. Um, I mean, what's the three points is like less than 3% of all the scoring. But in a game that goes 24-10, those three points, that's 10%. Like, it's, it's really big. Uh, it, I don't know. I, I think that that's one of the things that you really can't get a feel for from a coach until you actually see them in the positions. And, you know, again, we're late in the season. We've seen him decide to go for on fourth down or not go to fourth down over and over again. But I think that this Buffs team that we've seen the last couple of weeks more resembles the buffs of the future than 
the early season teams did. The teams when when they were winning, they were just putting up big points with all these star receivers. I think that this was the kind of football that Mel Tucker wants to play. He wants it to be dictated by the defense. He uh, just wants this attitude. Um, and then on offense, you run the ball, and that's kind of your bread and butter. And if they overcommit, then you take advantage. Obviously, it's college football, and you got to throw the ball. And by saying, like, running the ball, that means you might run it, like, what, half the time, a little more than half the time? That's what a running offense is, a running team is. But uh, it's just safe. You know you're not putting your defense in bad positions. You're just playing this game of tug-of-war back and forth and back and forth um, until somebody wins it, scores points, and you play again. Uh, I love it. I love it so much. And uh, like I was saying before I went on another tangent – uh, you, you see more, I, I guess the information you get out of games like this, games that will be more similar to the games they play in the future, is more valuable. Because you see what happens in a fourth and four when Mel's defense is good. And he's more likely to go for it. Uh, we didn't see him go for it quite as much in these situations when both teams were scoring. I think it's more because of the hesitance to give the other team the ball back. Uh, obviously, that's what it is, but but then you also have the benefit of if you think they're going to score on the next possession no matter what happens, you might as well try to go score a touchdown instead of a field goal. I don't know. There's a bunch of different math and probabilities and all that kind of stuff that lines up, but the point is what you see out of Mel Tucker and his decision-making in these games where the defense is playing well, that's the stuff that you actually pull from and try to use to learn from. Um, Alex Fontenot. Let's talk about Alex Fontenot. Uh, very good. I think I said earlier 24 carries for 105 yards with a touchdown off the top of my head. Uh... That sounds right. And then Jaron Mangum, like five carries, 27 yards. We'll get to Steven Montez. Don't worry. Um, I was thinking about it. And you know how you always say guys are well-rounded, but you don't know if they're really next-level guys because they don't have an elite ability? You know, like they don't have the one thing that really makes them special. There isn't one thing that's going to put them on a highlight reel. There's not one thing that you know will give them an advantage in some matchup every single time. Uh, I didn't think that Alex Fontenot had that. I didn't think that he was a guy who had an elite quality. I thought that he pretty well exemplified a guy who's just very well-rounded. You know, for running back, he's fast, but it's not like he's like Tariq Cohen He's not just some speedy guy who's just going to be able to run past everybody. He's not Jamal Charles. Uh, he 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 has some like moves. He has the the wiggle, the the jukes, that kind of stuff. But again, it's not like he's pulling off insane plays. It's not like Saquon Barkley taking guys out of his shoes. Um, he has the power too. They run him in power situations, and he holds up. But he's not. I don't know. Jerome Bettis, Le'Veon Bell, you know, these big guys who just bowl over you. Um, and so I thought, yeah, he's just like a well-rounded guy. You, he's, he's, your, he's your every down back. He's somebody who can do everything well enough. And then when you need somebody big, you throw Jaron Mangum in. 
when you need somebody speedy or shifty, I, th- I think that was probably supposed to be Jarek Broussard this season before he tore his ACL. You know, you're a little receiving back, get him the ball in space, see what happens. But tonight, it was pretty early in the game when I had this thought. It was one of the times where he just got hit and he fell and he just kept falling and falling and falling and he picked up like four yards while he was falling. And I think that maybe Alex's elite ability is just that he stumbles so far. You know, usually when you think of guys who get hit and earn yards after contact, you think like, oh yeah, like he's falling forward. He's plowing through this guy. He's not getting knocked back. He's getting those last yard, two yards, something like that. But Fondo has something else where he's able to avoid every hit enough that he takes it and it knocks him down, but he has this weird sort of balance that allows him to just fall and fall and fall and just keep falling forward for four more yards. And he does this a few times, at least throughout the game. And it's something that you just don't see all that often, I don't feel like. At least somebody who does it consistently. Like Sometimes you get hit in an angle that makes you do that. But Fontenot just seems to do it so consistently. Um, yeah. You guys saw how good he was. He was really good. I don't know what this rotation is going to look like next year with him. Uh, Jaron Mangum, the freshman, coming back with more speed more bulk more agility who knows what he's going to come back with but i know he's going to come back with something new um and then you also have obviously ashad clayton coming in as a freshman he will be a freshman next year he's a four-star recruit he's one of the top rated running backs in the entire country he should be the guy who can take over very early in his career but it's not going to be easy i don't know it's good to see that they have this sort of depth though that's the kind of depth they want at every position. And they've really only had it at receiver. They've just had, you know, LaVisca Chenault, Katie Nixon, uh, Tony Brown. Like, those are three starter caliber guys. Three, like, good starter caliber guys. Like, ones and twos. Um, LaVisca, Chenault, Tony Brown being number one receivers. Katie Nixon probably being a number two receiver. Um, instead of a one, two, three, you have a one, one, two. That's great. Uh, and then you have the depth behind him. Demetri Stanley, good third receiver, you know? And that's the way it's been for a few years in Boulder. You just had a bunch of guys, and it's probably going to stay that way. Good teams have those types of log jams at a whole bunch of positions. You know, you, you look at Alabama, where it's all of a sudden, oh, your junior five-star who's never played before is now all of a sudden playing, and where has he been? And you're like, oh, yeah, he was buried by the senior five-star you know that's just the way those programs work and when you're winning nobody cares you know I I do worry just a little bit what this running back room could be like like there is the potential to be toxic there that's obvious there aren't enough carries to go around there aren't enough touches to go around for the receivers either there haven't been for a while I guess like the injuries kind of tweak that it would have been tough at any point in the season for anybody to get too mad but you know, if you win enough games, that's probably the biggest thing in keeping everybody happy. I, again, I don't think that it's going to be an issue. I don't think that any of those guys would, you know, take major issue with that. But uh, when you're in this situation, there's always the potential for that to be the case, for those rifts to form. Uh, the exciting thing is, though, getting past all the negatives 
um, that really aren't that big, but I said them before the positives anyway, just to put that sour taste in your mouth and really skew your whole perspective on this whole thing in a bad way. Uh, the good news is that it looks like Colorado is building that type of strength around its roster. You know, obviously you, you're going to continue to have that receiver, maybe a little step back next year, but the depth is there. Running back, like I was just talking about, will have those issues. I think that cornerback will definitely have those problems. You know, if if your top three are KJ Costello, Tariq Luckett, and Dylan Thomas, I think that you feel good about that. But then all of a sudden next year, you have Makai Blackman coming back, who looked very good in camp. And you also have uh, Chris Miller coming back, another guy who was ahead of these ones on the depth chart. Uh, there won't be enough playing time to go around. That's a good thing, though. That should be a good thing. Uh, the other position where I really think that you can see this happening is along that defensive line. With Alfano, Jalen Sammy, Mustafa Johnson up there, Terrence Lang tonight looked incredible. Uh, he was everywhere. He, I don't know, I, I should pull up these stat sheets to see what they credit him with. He had a massive uh, tackle for loss, though. He blew a guy up in the backfield. He almost had another on a similar play where he just threw the offensive line was supposed to block him and took out the running back, but he just missed the running back. Like, he, he was everywhere. He did have a sack, so two tackles for loss and a sack. It's a good night. And, you know, assuming Mustafa's back, Mustafa's a starter, it's Alfano and Terrence Lang for that other starting defensive line spot. And sure, there's a rotation. There, there's time to go around. But again, I mean, Rodman's look good. Austin Williams, Shanaz Jordan. There's, there's a lot of guys who could get time. Carson Wells got his first sack of the season. He's an outside linebacker, but he's in that pass rusher spot. Uh, it could be that they go heavy and put Alfano outside linebacker in some situations. Um, you know, th- I do think that that position becomes a deep position for Colorado. And the surprising part is how quickly this has changed because cornerback was not a strength. It wasn't a strength this preseason, you know, during fall camp when – you know, talking with reporters, it's just like, yeah, I guess they're going to have to move a bunch of guys over because they just don't have anybody there even. It's not even that it's a lack of talent, which I know there was, but there was also just a lack of bodies. And now all of a sudden, you're looking at this and saying, two years from now, if this isn't the best group of cornerbacks in the Pac-12, something went horribly wrong. Who knows what they are before then, but, you know, they're they're on a great path. Defensive line, very similar. And all of a sudden, I think that that's a major strength for this team next year. Turns out getting the best player in the country to to, to convert is, is helpful in that regard. Um, you know, I, I want to talk more, now that I think of it, about this defensive line, this pass rush. It was so good tonight. It was so good. They were everywhere. I think 10 tackles for loss, 5 sacks. Just everywhere. Jacob Eason had no time to do anything. Ever. I don't know. They looked like I thought they could look. Listening to how they were talking after the game, I was really impressed. Specifically Nate Landman. You know, he's kind of the leader of this defense. He's the guy who knows everything that's supposed to be going on and whether it's happening, all that kind of stuff. Um, 
I want to talk about him too. Have I talked about him yet? I can't remember. Definitely thought about him a lot. Um, <laughs> that sounded weird. Um, but yeah, I mean, Nate was saying stuff like, you know, Tyson Summers just gets this, the chess match. Like that's what he's good at. You know, he he's he knows what all the calls are before we even get out there. He knows he's going to set up a blitz two plays before. He's going to give a team this look and bring pressure off of this side and drop into these zones and then two plays later do the exact same thing but with one little tweak. And that's how that's how Nate got his interception. You know, Easton even said after the game like I thought that he was coming but then all of a sudden he stopped and just jumped back and got the ball. And Landman said, yeah, that's, that's exactly what happened because we did the same thing we did a couple plays before. We just tweaked this one little part, and then all of a sudden we caught him off guard because they thought they knew what they, we were doing. They made their decisions, and they were wrong. They didn't wait to read it. They just cheated that little bit. Um, and that's what it was all night. You know, those third downs are fun. All these different looks that they're giving opponents everybody at the line of scrimmage two guys at the last scrimmage people it's it's just so versatile and the crazy part is the reason that Nate thinks that things are going so well now is that they uh they they made things less complicated and it looks like as the season's progressed they've started doing so many more things but what he said is we just cut out a bunch of the playbook we said no we're, we're going to go back to the basics. We're going to get all the basics right. We're doing what we did in fall camp, and it's paying off. It's very obviously paying off, and it's interesting to see. You know, there, there are different takes you can have on that. Is it is it hurting the team long run to not force them to know all these things that you want to do? Or is it just making sense? Is it the right call to do whatever's going to win you games now and maybe not worry about all that stuff down the road. I don't know. I mean, there's no guarantee that all of a sudden Mel Tucker and Tyson Summers are going to say, oh yeah, this this spring we really got to open things up. We got to go through this entire playbook because so far this, this shortened playbook, and I don't know how much thinner it is. It might be 10%. It might be 70%. I would guess that it's closer to the 10. But, uh, if this keeps working, just run with it. Uh, maybe teams start to figure it out. Maybe not. I don't know. Um, it, it It's working, though. It's very clearly working. And I guess that's what's important. Um, you know what? We're going to take a quick break, and I'll be right back on the other side. What's up, guys? Ryan Konigsberg here, and I got to tell you, about the Blake Street Tavern. It's my favorite sports bar in town, as evidenced by the fact that we had our fantasy draft there. It's where I watched Super Bowl 48. It's where I watched CU win a Pac-12 basketball championship back in the day. Uh, it's the place to be for any sporting event. It's the biggest bar in town. I always joke you could land a 747 in there. It was named the National Sports Bar of the Year in 2017 by Nightclub and Bar Magazine. It wins best sports bar in Denver seemingly every year from Westward, anyone else that's voting. It's the place to be. Uh, they've got great specials and the food is out of this world. I recommend the nachos, the green chili fries, uh, the buffalo chicken wrap, you name it, they've got it. And the location is perfect. Just two blocks north of Coors Field and they have parking. So go check out the Blake Street Tavern. You know, 
having a chance to think about it, what it all boils down to is that Colorado just isn't blowing opportunities. And Washington was. And that was really the difference in this game. I remember the missed tackle the Buffs had, which is crazy because there were so many missed tackles in so many of the games this season that thinking back and saying, oh, wow, that was an egregious missed tackle. He gave him six extra yards. Like that is just so, it's, it's, it's just a relief that that's where you're at. Sure, it's so frustrating when they miss one, but it's become so rare. The penalties were so, how, how many penalties were there? Were they, I think they were called for something. Uh, uh, yeah, they were called six times for 55 yards. Turns out I don't, I don't know what I'm talking about. Nine penalties for uh, Washington. Okay, so nine to six. It's closer than I thought, but... Uh, oh, yeah, there were definitely penalties. There were definitely penalties. There were some bad ones. That call on uh, Rakestraw. I mean, first of all, you, you could have pulled up. Like, Darian did not need to touch him at all if he didn't want to. But at the same time, he went at him with 10% force. I didn't think he was going to go down. It was just this little, I don't know. Could have avoided it. If you're going to do it, like get your money's worth. I don't know. Um, There were definitely penalties now I think of it going back through. It's late. It is 441. Uh, What was my point though? Oh, Colorado just played cleaner football. Washington did not play clean football. They just didn't. Um, Making mistakes, letting guys through, blowing assignments, dropping passes. Uh... I don't know. You just can't do it. And it's so nice to see this go the other way around. And it's what we talked about all week. You know, Colorado, if they just play good football, they can hang with anybody. Washington, for the first time in a while, is a team that has a tendency to make some mistakes and let them stack and lose games because of it. And that's kind of what happened tonight, just that combination of those two things. Going back to the defense being easier, simpler, that was just a way to avoid the mistakes. And it worked. They did avoid the mistakes. Um, that's what it comes down to. I, it, I don't know. I don't know. Is it just a culture thing where it just takes time for people to be held more accountable? You know, it's, it's tough for anybody to say, hey, you can't be doing this when he's doing it too, when that's just not something that happened. Like at at this point, a missed tackle, for example, it isn't because it was just like you not caring at the moment. It's because for whatever reason, you know, were you not working hard enough in the tackling drills? Something like that. You know, it's not because of a mistake that's made in the moment. And if it is, if it's because, you know, you 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 went a little too high, something like that. That's something that you could have learned in practice. Like, that's such a simple skill. If you're confused by the playbook, you're confused by the checks, like, sure, that might take some time. And that's really frustrating when that's the case, for sure. But, you know, something like missed tackles, it just happens uh, because you haven't put in the work, probably. That'd be my take. Um, and, and if that's happening to everybody because nobody really put in the work that same way, like nobody's doing it the right way, you don't have anybody to really call them out. And it's just this building process where it becomes less and less acceptable. The team becomes better and better because of it. I don't know. Uh, it's good to see them get a win. 
after the way this season's gone. Um, again, they, they beat Stanford, but they made that, they proved that that wasn't a fluke. And now all of a sudden they've made the last game of the season meaningful, which isn't something that I expected. And I think that I was pretty clear going into the season that making every game important, making every game matter, was a good goal. I mean, six wins, getting to a bowl game, good goal. But also winning five games before you get into that Utah game, that's still probably a loss. Also a win for this team, better than expected. They outperform the expectations, and that's really all you can ask. You set reasonable expectations, and they exceed them. And so far, I feel like in most regards, this team, this program under Mel Tucker has done that so far. Whether it's winning five games when most national experts said that this was a three to four win team, even those who were high on Mel Tucker said, you know what, you just can't turn around that fast. And I'm not saying that five wins in a season is turning anything around, but you didn't take a step back when implementing a whole new system, all this kind of stuff could have, probably should have forced you to take a step back. Um, now it'd be massive if they can get into a bowl game, but then you look in other areas like recruiting. They did better than I think anybody expected recruiting and it's not over. You can have decommits. You could also have more commits. We'll see what happens, but this late push makes it a very strong recruiting class, stronger than I expected recruiting class. And it just seems like at this point, mostly across the board, they've done that. They've at, at least hit expectations. Um, I did note in that column that it is a problem that these adjustments weren't made earlier. Um, that's, that's, that's a miss. That's like a loss for this coaching staff. You have wins, you have losses, um, not just on the field, but all over. Ashad Clayton, that's a win. Um, if they, if they don't get, uh, oh, who, what is his name? Um, he was here for the Stanford game. Big guy, long guy, tall guy, six foot eight, Julius Coates. Oh, was that even the right guy? That's the, I want to talk about Julius Coates. I don't think he was here. Uh, but, but the thing about Julius Coates is that if he does sign somewhere else, it's looking like he might go to Oregon or something like that. That's a loss. And you just have to add up these wins and losses, and they aren't all the same size. You know, it's tough to keep a guy like that. Um, But there are a lot more wins than there are losses. And that's the case pretty much everywhere. One of the biggest losses, though, is that they couldn't get this defense in shape quicker. I think that it's good that it happened now. This season wasn't going to be a season they were competing for a Pac-12 title anyway. But... It would have been nice if right now they're sitting on seven wins because that defense was just giving up a couple fewer plays earlier in the season. Um, but that's not what happened. And so that's that's a loss. They got figured out, but what did it take? 11 weeks to get it figured out when really, who knows? Maybe the expectation should have been eight weeks. Maybe it should have been four weeks. I'm not really sure. This is a weird situation, implementing new schemes, all that kind of stuff. I will say that that should have happened earlier. You know, the false starts, that's another loss. I think the coaches need to get that figured out more quickly than it got figured out. Um, But overwhelmingly, outdoing expectations. And that's a good sign going forward because that's what pulls in recruits. 
that's what gets the national media's attention saying, oh, wow, this is better than we expected. You know, at this point, the headline's still going to be Washington. How did they lose the game to Colorado? Not, hey, good win for Colorado. You know, you're seeing with Oregon State, though, um, because their ascendance, ascent probably was, was more dramatic, not necessarily because they're a better football team than uh, Colorado is at this point, but because they were so much worse before. All of a sudden, you know, that UCLA game that they won, remember that one? They came back late. Uh, that The story of that game was, oh, wow. Or no, wait, that was UCLA versus, oh, boy. That was UCLA-Washington State. Um, but, but the point is, early on when you're doing these turnarounds, the story's always going to be about the big guy losing, not the little guy winning, because that's who national audiences care about. That's the that's the name that draws attention. You know, are you more likely right now to click on something that's about, uh, I don't know, Ole Miss or about Auburn? Auburn's just the more interesting program right now because they're winning. And that's why the headline's going to be Auburn loses. But for Oregon State, that has changed. All of a sudden, because they were so bad and now they're average, everybody's excited. Everybody wants to say good things about them. Everybody wants Oregon State in the headline. Then Colorado just isn't quite there. Uh, if they beat Utah, I think that that's probably the one. You know, it's just going to take time, and that's accelerated. You know, the national media, getting recruits, getting fans into the stadium, getting money from donors, all that kind of stuff when you're exceeding expectations. Um, you, you need the spiral. You need to gain momentum and just build off that momentum whether it's you you find a big time recruit who shouldn't sign with you but does anyway they're probably too good for your program and then you win more games because of it and because you're winning more games then the recruits come and all you know all these things just work together the money comes in because you're winning the games all these things work together but you need something that sets it off and i think colorado's coaching staff doing as well as they have in pretty much every regard is that first step in the spiral. And I think that that's probably the one you want. That means that you have this core in place. The people who are here for more than four years are doing a good job. And I, I, I think I'll stand by that. You know, Tyson Summers, I think he might be the guy to be the defensive coordinator. You know, I, I definitely don't think he gets fired after this season. Um, if, if you think that, you know, maybe he's, transitionary guy or even if you don't think he's good at all you know what maybe he's a two three year guy and then you can find somebody who's a step up could be but I also think that he could be the defensive coordinator here and a good one for a while um as of a few weeks ago I don't think I would have said that but having seen what this defense can do now the adjustments he's made it's still definitely a loss on his record that this didn't happen sooner that they weren't holding teams under 15 points sooner but you know he's still a young coach maybe he learned something maybe next time around next time they're having these problems because there will be problems for every football team every part of the football team the defense of every football team will have games where it underperforms the coach's job is to get that turned around as quickly as possible and maybe in the future he turns it around more quickly because of this experience um might not be the guy jay johnson might not be the guy i think that there are good there's a good chance that they are the guys though 
and I definitely think that they'll be back next year. Mel Tucker, for sure, is the guy. He's, I don't know, he's building something, and I've never lost faith in the fact that he is building something at Colorado, but it's nice to see a couple of wins here because that just makes it so much easier. If he'd lost both those games, lost to Utah, I think I'd still be saying Mel Tucker is who you want turning this program around. But I don't think you can say it as confidently. Um, I think that should probably do it for tonight uh, because it's almost 5 in the morning and I still have to get this story posted. So I'll talk to you on Monday. If you guys have thoughts on any of this stuff on the game, you know, whatever, just throw it in the comment section for this podcast and I will get to it on Monday. Really excited to talk more with you guys. Really excited to rewatch this game, see things that I probably missed. Uh, we'll talk Monday. I think they like my Colorado swag. Cause when I'm in it play, I don't really, I don't really know just how to act. And when I'm in it go, you know I'm acting bad. Holly get a bus with my Colorado swag. My Colorado swag. My Colorado swag. I think they like, I think they like my
Colorado swag, my Colorado swag, my Colorado swag, my Colorado swag, my Colorado swag, my Colorado swag, my Colorado swag, my Colorado swag, my Colorado swag, my Colorado swag, my Colorado swag, my Colorado swag, my Colorado